Chapter Eight, Part Three of Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman by E. W. Horning. Chapter Eight: The Knees of the Gods, Part Three. Blomfontein had fallen since our arrival, but there was plenty of fight in the Free Staters still, and I will not deny that it was the gentry who were showing us the sport for which our corps came in. Constant skirmishing was our portion, with now and then an action that you would know at least by name, did I feel free to mention them. But I do not, and indeed it is better so. I have not to describe the war even as I saw it, I am thankful to say but only the martial story of us two and those others of whom you wot. Corporal Connell was the dangerous blackguard you have seen. Captain Bellingham is the best known for his position in the batting averages a year or two ago, and for his subsequent failure to obtain a place in any of the five test matches. But I only think of him as the officer who recognized Raffles. We had taken a village, making quite a little name for it and for ourselves and in the village our division was reinforced by a fresh brigade of the imperial troops. It was a day of rest, our first for weeks, but Raffles and I spent no small part of it in seeking high and low for a worthy means of quenching the kind of thirst which used to beset yeomen and others who had left good cellars for the veldt. The old knack came back to us both, though I believe that I alone was conscious of it at the time, and we were leaving the house splendidly supplied— when we almost ran into the arms of an infantry officer, with a scowl upon his red-hot face, and an eyeglass flaming at us in the sun. "'Peter Bellingham!' gasped Raffles under his breath, and then we saluted and tried to pass on, with the bottles ringing like church bells under our khaki. But Captain Bellingham was a hard man. "'What have you men been doing?' drawled he. "'Nothing, sir.' we protested, like innocent with an injury. "'Luton's forbidden,' said he. "'You had better let me see those bottles.' "'We are done,' whispered Raffles, and straight away we made a sideboard of the stoop across which he had crept at so inopportune a moment. I had not the heart to raise my eyes again, yet it was many moments before the officer broke silence. "'Whom var?' he murmured reverentially at last and Long John of Ben Nevis, the first drop that's been discovered in the whole psalm-singing show. What lot do you two belong to? I answered. I must have your names. In my agitation I gave my real one. Raffles had turned away, as though in heartbroken contemplation of our lost loot. I saw the officer studying his half-profile with an alarming face. What's your name? He rapped out at last but his strange, low voice said plainly that he knew, and Raffles faced him with the monosyllable of confession and assent. I did not count the seconds until the next word, but it was Captain Bellingham who uttered it at last. "'I thought you were dead.' "'Now you see I am not.' "'But you are at your old games.' "'I am not!' cried Raffles, and his tone was new to me. I have seldom heard one more indignant." "'Yes,' he continued. "'This is loot, and the wrong un will out. "'That's what you're thinking, Peter. "'I beg your pardon, sir. "'But he isn't let out in the field. 
We are playing the game as much as you are, old sir. The plural number caused the captain to toss me a contemptuous look. Is this the fellow who was taken when you swam for it? He inquired, relapsing into his drawl. Raffles said I was, and with that took a passionate oath upon our absolute rectitude as volunteers. There could be no doubting him, but the officer's eyes went back at the bottles on the stoop. "'But look at those,' said he, and as he looked himself the light eyes melted in his fiery face. "'And I've got sparklets in my tent,' he sighed. "'You make it in a minute?' Not a word from Raffles, and none you may be sure from me. Then suddenly Bellingham told me where his tent was, and adding that our case was one for serious consideration, strode in its direction without another word until some sunlit paces separated us. "'You can bring that stuff with you,' he then flung over a shoulder-strap, "'and I advise you to put it where you had it before.' A trooper saluted him some yards further on, and looked evilly at us as we followed with our loot. It was Corporal Connell of ours, and the thought of him takes my mind off the certainly gallant captain, who only that day had joined our division with the reinforcements. I could not stand the man myself. He added soda-water to our whiskey in his tent, and would only keep a couple of bottles when we came away. Softened by the spirit, to which disuse made us all a little sensitive, our officer was soon convinced of the honest part that we were playing for once, and for fifty minutes of the hour we spent with him, he and Raffles talked cricket without a break. On parting they even shook hands. That was Long John in the captain's head, but the snob never addressed a syllable to me. And now to the gallows-bird, who was still corporal of our troop. It was not long before Raffles was to have his wish and the traitor's wicket. We had resumed our advance, or rather our humble part in the great surrounding movement then taking place, and were under pretty heavy fire once more, when Connell was shot in the hand. It was a curious casualty in more than one respect, and nobody seems to have seen it happen. Though a flesh wound, it was a bloody one, and that may be why the surgeon did not at once detect those features which afterwards convinced him that the injury had been self-inflicted. It was the right hand, and until it healed the man could be of no further use in the firing line, nor was the case serious enough for admission to a crowded field hospital, and Connell himself offered his services as custodian of a number of our horses which we were keeping out of harm's way in a donga. They had come here in the following manner. That morning we had been heliographed to reinforce the CMR, only to find that the enemy had the range to a nicety when we reached the spot. There were trenches for us men, but no place of safety for our horses nearer than this long and narrow donga which ran from within our lines toward those of the boars. So some of us galloped them thither, six in hand, amid the whine of shrapnel and the whistle of shot. I remember the man next to me being killed by a shell with all his team, and the tangle of flying harnesses, torn horse-flesh and crimson khaki, that we left behind us on the veldt. Also that a small red flag, ludicrously like those used to indicate a putting-green, marked the single sloping entrance to the otherwise precipitous donga, which I for one was duly thankful to reach alive. The same evening Connell, with a few other light casualties to assist him, took over the charge for which he had volunteered, 
and for which he was so admirably fitted by his knowledge of horses and his general experience of the country. Nevertheless, he managed to lose three or four fine chargers in the course of the first night, and early in the second, Raffles shook me out of a heavy slumber in the trenches, where we had been firing all day. "'I have found the spot, Bunny,' he whispered. "'We ought to out him before the night is over.' "'Connell?' Raffles nodded. "'You know what happened to some of his horses last night? Well, he let them go himself.' "'Never!' "'I'm as certain of it,' said Raffles, "'as though I'd seen him do it. And if he does it again I shall see him. I can even tell you how it happened.' "'Connell insisted on having one end of the donga to himself.' and of course his end is the one nearest the boar's. Well, then he tells the other fellows to go to sleep at their end. I have it direct from one of them, and you bet they don't need a second invitation. The rest I hope to see to-night. "'It seems almost incredible,' said I. "'Not more so than the light horseman's dodge of poisoning the troughs. That happened at Ladysmith before Christmas, and two kind friends did for that blackguard what you and I are going to do for this one.' and a firing-party did the rest. Brutes! A mounted man's worth a file on foot in this country. And well they know it. But this beauty goes one better than the poison. That was willful waste. But I'll eat my wide awakes if our loss last night wasn't the enemy's double gain. What we've got to do, Bunny, is catch him in the act. It may mean watching him all night, but was ever game so well worth the candle?' One may say in passing that at this particular point of contact the enemy were in superior force, and for once in a mood as aggressive as our own. They were led with a dash and handled with skill, which did not always characterize their commanders at this stage of the war. Their position was very similar to ours, and indeed we were to spend the whole of next day in trying with an equal will to turn each other out. The result will scarcely be forgotten by those who recognize the occasion from these remarks. Meanwhile, it was the eve of battle. Most evenings were. And there was that villain with the horses in the donga. And here were we two upon his track. Raffles's plan was to reconnoitre the place, and then take up a position from which we could watch our man and pounce upon him if he gave us cause. The spot that we eventually chose and stealthily occupied was behind some bushes through which we could see down into the donga. There were the precious horses, and there, sure enough, was our wounded corporal, sitting smoking in his cloak, some glimmering thing in his lap. "'That's his revolver, and it's a mauser,' whispered Raffles. "'He shan't have a chance of using it on us. Either we must be on him before he knows we are anywhere near, or simply report. It's easily proved once we are sure.' but I should like to have the taking of him, too. There was a setting moon. Shadows were sharp and black. The man smoked steadily, and the hungry horses did what I never saw horses do before. They stood and nibbled at each other's tails. I was used to sleeping in the open, under the jeweled dome that seems so much vaster and grander in these wide spaces of the earth. I lay listening to the horses, and to the myriad small strange voices of the veldt, to which I cannot even now put a name, while Raffles watched. "'One head is better than two, he said, when you don't want it to be seen. We were to take watch, and watch about, however, and the other might sleep if he could. It was not my fault that I did nothing else. 
It was Raffles who could trust nobody but himself. Nor was there any time for recriminations when he did rouse me in the end. But a moment ago, as it seemed to me, I had been gazing upward at the stars and listening to the dear minute sounds of peace. And in another the great grey slate was clean, and every bone of me set in plaster of Paris, and sniping beginning between pickets with the day. It was an occasional crack, not a constant crackle, but the whistle of a bullet as it passed us by, or a tiny transitory flame for the one bit of detail on a blue hillside, was an unpleasant warning that we two on ours were a target in ourselves. But Raffles paid no attention to their fire. He was pointing downward through the bushes to where Corporal Connell stood with his back to us, shooing a last charger out of the mouth of the donga towards the Boer trenches. "'That's his third, whispered Raffles, "'but it's the first I've seen distinctly, "'for he waited for the blind spot before the dawn. "'It's enough to land him, I fancy, "'but we mustn't lose time. "'Are you ready for a creep?' "'I stretched myself and said I was, "'but I devoutly wished it was not quite so early in the morning. "'Like cats, then, till he hears, "'and then into him for all we're worth. "'He's stowed his iron safe away, "'but he mustn't have time even to feel for it. You take his left arm, Bunny, and hang on to that like a ferret, and I'll do the rest. Ready? Then now. And in less time than it would take to tell, we were over the lip of the donga and had fallen upon the fellow before he could turn his head. Nevertheless, for a few instants he fought like a wild beast, striking, kicking, and swinging me off my feet as I obeyed my instructions to the letter, and stuck to his left like a leech. But he soon gave that up, panting and blaspheming demanded explanations in his hybrid tongue that had half a brogue and half a burr. What were we doing? What had he done? Raffles at his back with his right wrist twisted round and pinned into the small of it, soon told him that. And I think the words must have been the first intimation that he had as to who his assailants were. "'So it's you two, he cried, and a light broke over him. He was no longer trying to shake us off, and now he dropped his curses also and stood chuckling to himself instead. "'Well,' he went on, "'you're bloody liars both, but I know something else that you are, so you'd better let go.' A coldness ran through me, and I never saw Raffles so taken aback. His grip must have relaxed for a fraction of time, for our captive broke out in fresh and desperate struggle. But now we pinned him tighter than ever, and soon I saw him turning green and yellow with the pain. "'You're breaking my wrist!' he yelled at last. "'Then stand still and tell us who we are.' And he stood still and told us our real names. But Raffles insisted on hearing how he had found us out, and smiled as though he had known what was coming when it came. I was dumbfounded. The accursed hound had followed us that evening to Captain Bellingham's tent, and his undoubted cleverness in his own profession of spy had done the rest. "'And now you'd better let me go,' said the master of the situation, as I for one could not help regarding him. "'I'll see you damned,' said Raffles, savagely. "'Then you're damned and done for yourself, my cocky criminal. Raffles the burglar, Raffles the society thief, not dead after all, but live and listed. Send him home and give him fourteen years, and won't he like him, that's all.' "'I shall have the pleasure of hearing you shot first, retorted Raffles through his teeth, "'and that alone will make them bearable.' 
Come on, Bunny, let's drive the swine along and get it over. And drive him we did, he cursing, cajoling, struggling, gloating, and blubbering by turns. But Raffles never wavered for an instant, though his face was tragic, and it went to my heart where that look stays still. I remember at the time, though I never let my hold relax, there was a moment when I added my entreaties to those of our prisoner. Raffles did not even reply to me. But I was thinking of him, I swear. I was thinking of that grey-set face that I never saw before or after. "'Your story will be tested,' said the commanding officer, when Connell had been marched to the guard-tent. "'Is there any truth in his?' "'It is perfectly true, sir.' "'And the notorious Raffles has been alive all these years, and you are really he?' "'I am, sir.' "'And what are you doing at the front?' Somehow I thought that Raffles was going to smile, but the grim set of his mouth never altered, neither was there any change in the ashy pallor which had come over him in the donga when Connell mouthed his name. It was only his eyes that lighted up at the last question. "'I am fighting, sir.' said he, as simply as any subaltern in the army. The commanding officer inclined a grisly head perceptibly, and no more. He was not one of any school, our general. He had his own ways, and we loved both him and them. And I believe that he loved the rough but gallant corps that bore his name. He once told us that he knew something about most of us, and there were things that Raffles had done of which he must have heard but he only moved his grizzled head. "'Did you know he was going to give you away?' he asked at length, with a jerk of it toward the guard-tent. "'Yes, sir.' "'But you thought it worth your while, did you?' "'I thought it necessary, sir.' The general paused, drumming on his table, making up his mind. Then his chin came up with the decision that we loved in him. "'I shall sift all this,' said he. An officer's name was mentioned, and I shall see him myself. Meanwhile, you had better go on fighting. End of chapter 8, part 3